Welcome to Fine Rambles, number 80. Does anybody else do this? I was on a flight last week, and I just played the same song over and over again for like five hours. It was, what was it? It was Leonard Cohen's song, Dance Me to the End of Love. I believe that's the title, Dance Me to the End of Love. There was something very hypnotic about just getting into this groove of of the same song. So just curious if anyone else does that or if I'm, you know, completely mental. Anyways, you know, I never used to be a fan of stand-up comedy. I thought it was lame, like, I don't know, like Johnny Carson or... Just like, eh, you know, some of the worst of the Jerry Seinfeld observational imitators. What's the deal? Or I thought it was just scatological, you know, dick jokes, fart jokes. And then I heard Louis C.K. and his bit on how social media is destroying our ability to socialize because we don't see the reaction of the person we just insulted on Twitter, let's say. We don't, we don't see their pain, and therefore we don't understand that it happened. We don't internalize it. And that bit really hit home, because Louis C.K. had touched on this, what I consider to be very deep truth. The truth that it's so important that when we cause pain, that we see that pain, that we witness it. Now, I'm not a good person, (laughs) but I live, I'm very fortunate to live in a very safe society, a society that very rarely tempts me into doing bad things. But when I do bad things, and I've talked about a couple of them on this podcast already, it's a horrible feeling. It's a horrible feeling to see pain in someone else that you've caused. And we can all understand what that feels like because we've all hurt someone. And if you tell me no, Matt, I've never hurt anyone. Well, first, I guess I wouldn't believe you. And then if I actually thought you were telling the truth and that you had never, ever, ever hurt anyone, well, I would not trade places with you for all the tea in China. (laughs) And if that isn't politically correct, I guess I would say for all the whiskey in Ireland. Because... If you've never seen pain, you've never felt the pain that is caused by causing pain. And then you might blithely assume that good intentions are good enough. And good intentions are especially dangerous when we're in a situation where we think that the other party, the other person is not only wrong, but bad. And more and more, (laughs) it seems to me, 
we think someone is bad simply because they disagree with us. I saw a video last week of a young couple in London, and they were surrounded by a mob, and they were getting yelled at, you know, yelled at violently, vociferously. People were getting right up in their faces. And the mob was yelling, Nazi scum off our streets, Nazi scum off our streets. And some of the people yelling were armed. So just think about how you would feel. Not if you were the couple getting yelled at. That's easy. (laughs) That's easy. No. How would you feel if you were one of the people yelling? How would you feel if you were a member of that mob? And the answer is you'd feel pretty goddamn good about yourself. (laughs) You'd feel righteous because you would know, you would know, you would know you were on the side of right. And, you, you know, you'd also feel pretty good because, let's be honest about this, it feels pretty good to be a bully. It feels good to be stronger than someone. It feels good to intimidate somebody who's weaker, to show them, to show them how much power you have and how little they have. And then, you know, maybe you'd feel a little guilty about how good it feels to be a bully. So you'd have to justify your own, <laughs> your own pleasure. And the easiest way to do that would be to blame the victim. Blaming the victim, right? The surest way to justify the pleasure you're taking in hurting someone else would be to make it the fault of the couple standing there. I mean... They must be terrible people if I feel good hurting them because I know I'm a good person and good people don't enjoy hurting other good people. So they must be bad. Q-E-D. Here's another way to think about this. I think. I think. I'm thinking out loud. So bear with me. But if you reduce yourself to an identity... If you reduce your, your infinite complexity to a single dimension, a single dimension which is not even one you've chosen, you're in serious trouble. If, quote, white is who you are, or, or gay, or Jew, or American, then any time someone is mean to you, or even disagrees with you, or, I don't know, doesn't do exactly what you want them to do, the only possible explanation you will be able to see or think of is, ah, it's because I'm white. It's because I'm gay. It's because I'm a Jew. When you see yourself that way, you'll only be able to imagine that other people can see you that way as well. You're, you're reducing not just the complexity of who you are, 
but you're imposing that overly simplistic view onto other people's perceptions of you, if that makes any sense. It's a, it's a failure of empathy. It's a failure of theory of mind. And it all started when you took everything that makes you unique and interesting and, and divine, and you threw it all away, and all you kept was your whiteness, your blackness. And here's what I think happens. When you reduce yourself, you reduce other people. Because as soon as you think they can only see you in one way, you are ascribing almost an unbelievable level of shallowness and, and bigotry onto them. How can I put this? If you automatically believe other people are motivated by prejudice, that itself is being unbelievably prejudiced. I've done this myself numerous occasions. When I was in college, I started, I started to adopt the victim persona of the Jew. And thank God I got over that. Another time, it's when I was starting to go bald. And it really freaked me out. I cared so much. And whenever someone was rude to me or dismissive or belittling, I just said to myself, oh, they saw that I'm balding, and that's all they can see of me, and therefore they're contemptuous of me as a person. Because I'd reduced myself to the guy who's balding. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but it's true. And, oh my God, what a sad little world I was living in. And, you know, please don't straw man this, okay? I... I'm not trying to compare going bald to, you know, coming out of the closet or being black or whatever chip you have on your shoulder. I'm not even opining on whether or not that chip deserves to be there. Maybe it does. Maybe that chip really does deserve to be there. Maybe people really do treat you badly because of some overly simplistic identity characteristic. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. How can I put this? If you identify with that chip on your shoulder, if you identify with an identity and you reduce yourself to that identity and you start to blame everything other people do to you on that identity, if you, if you create a victim mentality based on that chip, that chip on your shoulder will grow so heavy. <laughs> it will grow so heavy. It will push you right through the ground and into hell. If all you see is the chip on your shoulder, if you define yourself as a victim, then the other person has to be the oppressor by default. That's the only other available role. And if you're always the victim, then you'll see the oppressor everywhere. Everyone will become the oppressor. And that means you will start to assume 
the worst of people. And then you will begin to hate people. And hating people, that, that is the road to misery. If all you can see is the chip on your shoulder, and you can't see the cross on the other person's shoulder, if you can't even acknowledge that there is a cross on their shoulder, you'll just sink into a place of of resentment and bitterness and hatred. And it's very hot down there. And you're always thirsty. And it's noisy. And it itches all the time. I should stop there, but I'm not going to. This is just sort of a random idea I had recently. It's a weird idea. I'm not entirely sure how I feel about it. But maybe the truth is too important to be spoken in public. If we're at a tailgate party and we overhear someone tell the deepest truths, we would probably dismiss them as a cliche, as, as preachy, as crochet sayings. But if we heard them at midnight in the sacred chamber at the center of the temple, in the center of the forbidden city, in torchlight, from, from a man in ceremonial robes, wearing a mask, a sort of allegorical mask, reading from a time-stained scroll, we would probably take them to heart. (laughs) Maybe the setting is more important than the sentiment. Maybe, Maybe the accent is what sells. The golden rule, the golden rule sounds like chaff over a podcast. It just sounds like static. Nobody really believes what they read on a fortune cookie. Not even if it's the answer to the mystery of mysteries. So maybe, maybe we need to go back to, to isolating initiates and, and terrifying them with sort of this existential angst before, before trying to convey deep truths. Anyway, that's all I've got. I will catch you next week.